Hey guys, it's Matt here, and I just wanted to take a quick second to talk about Anchor. If you're looking to start a podcast and you haven't heard of Anchor, it's definitely the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. They will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. of the longhornscountry.com podcast. My name is Matt Galatson and I will be your host. And today I am joined by John Garcia, the director of recruiting at Sports Illustrated and SIL American. John, how's it going? Going well, my friend. Been busy, but uh, probably not as busy as you. No, I mean, it's uh, it hasn't been too bad of a week. There's not much going on in the world of college <laughs> sports right now, is there? No, no. Everyone's just focused on the Olympics and everything's normal. So we're good. Yeah, so, okay, obviously the big news, we'll jump right into it. Texas and Oklahoma are reportedly on their way to the SEC. Um, At the very least, they are leaving the Big 12. uh, And we we don't really know where to go from here. This is going to affect everything. Um, This this isn't just going to affect the Big 12. This isn't just going to affect the SEC. It's going to affect the entirety of college football. And, uh, I mean, let's just start right there. What What are your thoughts on just the move in general and how it's going to affect the college landscape. I think you hit it on the head, Matt. This is going to change pretty much everything we know uh, about college sports. And obviously this is, you know, you're you're mainly a football site. So in college football, it's going to change everything. I think perception of the SEC, perception of the Big 12, and, and kind of that pecking order of conference at a minimum is changed forever. At a minimum, it's changed forever. If you want to go, you know, to some people, worst case scenario, to others, maybe best case scenario, this is the beginning of the super conference conversation to where the SEC becomes the clear sort of step one for the eventual isolation and independence from the NCAA altogether. That's very much a long-term macro kind of of domino to look at but it could be the end game when we look back on on kind of this moment so this to say this is a big deal is obviously a gross understatement but at a minimum the sec and big 12 are changed forever and it, it creates that domino effect from the other leagues you know does does the big 12 with which would now have eight teams do you just kind of puke and rally and try to uh, figure out which G five schools you can you can accumulate to to look like a Power Five conference, or does this become the Big East 2.0, which is kind of where my gut has been at the at least at the beginning of this, to where the other Power Five or Power Four in this case conferences start to pluck the remaining eight programs. We've we've seen the reports of Kansas setting up a call with the Big Ten. You know the Oklahoma State to the Pac twelve 
kind of vibe has always made sense? Is that something that's explored more? West Virginia is kind of always in the middle of these realignment deals. Maybe they're kind of a bad omen if you take them on, but maybe the ACC looks into, into West Virginia and tries to grow uh, in number to match the SEC, now theoretically adding Texas and Oklahoma. So this impacts everybody. And even the G5 schools that stand right now, um, if you're Boise State, if you're UCF, if you're Cincinnati, if you're Memphis, you're probably making as much calls as as your Kansas, Kansas State, Baylor group is, is probably starting to as well. So this is kind of like chaos um, everywhere in college football, but obviously, um, you know, it, it dips into the SEC and makes it uh, it makes it fulfill the perception that it really is all about that league. That's where the conversation begins typically, and, and this will only validate that that much more. Okay, so let's just kind of go step by step on this thing. You know, we, we obviously have a lot to dissect here, um, but let's start in the SEC with Texas specifically. Um, obviously, Oklahoma, they've been a power for, um, you know, for over a decade now. They've been riding the college, the college football playoff mix every single year. They've got quarterback after quarterback winning the Heisman Trophy. They're in good shape. Texas, it's been a little bit different. They've struggled. They've had uh, Charlie Strong, who didn't succeed. They had Tom Herman, who won four bowl games but couldn't quite get him over the hump. And now you have Steve Sarkeesian coming from the, from the SEC, and, you know, hopefully that kind of, you know, and with a whole new staff made up of a lot of Alabama people, mind you, hopefully that kind of uh, changes, changes the trajectory of, of what they're going to do. But in the immediate future, do you think Texas can compete not just on the field, but in the recruiting areas with the likes of Alabama, with the likes of Georgia, even with the likes of Texas A&M, who over the last decade has really uh, beat Texas on the recruiting trail in, in, in many cases, um, you know, just based on that SEC move and, and the extra oomph it gave them in their pitch. Um, Florida's also in there. So can Texas hang around with those guys in the immediate future? I think more so in recruiting than on the field, Matt. Uh, and obviously that's where you can obviously invest in your future. Um, it's where you can curb perception if maybe things aren't great on the field. Um, just ask Georgia Bulldogs fans where it's like recruiting has been one step ahead of the on-field product pretty much the entire time. Kirby Smart's been there and that has sustained Georgia as kind of this recruiting power looking to become an on-field power right on that cusp for for five years it feels like so can Texas be be that in their own right I think yes I think recruiting what the staff you mentioned is positioned particularly in state and on the west coast which is always kind of an interesting uh, plan for Texas um, they've always had this this kind of influence in that region and so is Oklahoma uh, in the LA region, they've, they've been able to pluck and prod there just a little bit. And I think this staff is even better built to continue that at UT. Um, but I think you, you hit it on the head with AM. you know, how much more did the perception in recruiting elevate at AM moving into the SEC? Cause on field, you could argue that Texas is maybe a tick ahead of AM when they moved into the, into the league, uh, just in terms of recent success you mentioned you know Herman's won four ball games AM wasn't quite at that level uh, when they jumped into the to the SEC but the recruiting has certainly upticked quite a bit and that has allowed them to 
begin to build to what, you know, many people feel like this year is, is kind of A&M's year. If they're ever going to pick off Bama, they, you know, the, the feeling is it better be in 2021. So if, if there's a five to 10 year plan that looks like that for Texas, um, you know, can it look better than A&M's? And I think that answer is yes, because they've had a little bit more on success. They're much more of a national brand. And then it would even the playing field with those three letters, the SEC, uh, that have really oftentimes separated not only Texas, but Oklahoma from big individual recruiting wins, particularly with prospects in the South. Now that is not something that could theoretically be used against Texas. Um, so I, I think that's a huge, huge deal towards even the playing field or evening the playing field against A&M. But look, you know, to, to, to the, even the biggest, you know, Matthew McConaughey burnt orange Homer, it's, it's hard to imagine Texas hitting the ground running in a conference like the SEC, given what it could look like almost no matter how it looks, you're going to have Oklahoma in whatever pod or division um, that, that creeps up for, uh, for Texas uh, and and in my for my money and in my fantasy world, you're going to have A and M in that pod a, as well. Not to mention anybody else who could theoretically be in there: Bama, LSU, the Mississippi schools, et cetera. To where it's it's going to be a tough uphill battle on the football field. Uh, but that's why you brought in Steve Sarkeesian. You, you brought him in to recruit head to head against these programs. For Texas, it's always been recruiting against these programs, recruiting against USC, Ohio State, Clemson, Bama, Georgia, A&M. It's always been about that. And moving to the SEC just puts a little more oomph on the Texas side of that conversation. So at a minimum, I do think recruiting would be ahead of that on-field product. Okay, so you, you kind of mentioned Sarkeesian there, and I'm, I'm, I kind of want to pivot in that direction before we go on go on to talk about A&M a little bit. Um you know, Texas cleaned house, not just in football, but in basketball. They they got rid of Tom Herman. They got rid of Shaka Smart. They brought in arguably the two best coaching hires in both major sports in the entire country. Um, there are going to be an argument uh, to be made there for football. I don't know that there's one for basketball because Chris Beard is um, just on a, on a separate stratosphere from any of these other coaching hires in college basketball, but just – I had this theory and I want to run it by you before we move on. There's been reports that Texas and Oklahoma have been in these conversations with the sec for six months or more, which lines up with the timeline of Steve, Steve Sarkeesian being hired in January. Um, Chris Beard being hired, not much later. Do you think that that was part of Texas's pitch to both of those guys. I mean, Beard maybe was a separate story, but Sarkeesian specifically leaving the success at Alabama for a school like Texas, where it hasn't been easy for people to come in here and win since the the exit of Mac Brown. Do you think that that was part of his, the draw for him to, to come to Texas and just nobody knew about it yet? It's, it would be naive to think there wasn't some kind of, of hint or nudge in, in that direction. Look, Texas is, an, is, is really an international brand, but certainly a national brand in and of itself, right? You know, the hook'em, the, just the whole deal is, is very recognizable. The color, the logo, all of that. Obviously, you know, being in the middle of one of the best football states in America from a recruiting perspective, 
uh, rolls right into that. So on the surface, Texas is still one of those jobs, right? One of those top 10 jobs that if you hit it right, you can kind of be there forever, right? There's, there's a small group of programs that are, are really eligible for that conversation. And Texas alone, previous to this SEC news, is one of them. But if on top of that, you, you kind of hint at it. And look, these people are smart. They, they work through agents. There's middlemen. You know, we, we've heard a lot of talk about back channels in the last week when it comes to conversations, you know, in terms of entering and or exiting a conference, back channels, you know, through the back door kind of deal. There's no way that it wasn't at least hinted at or, or kind of nudged, wink, wink, whatever you want to call it, that something big was happening at Texas. The stars seemingly aligned. And I think that has a lot to do with who he was able to bring with him from Tuscaloosa uh, to Austin, you know, Kyle Flood, Jeff Banks, the list goes on and on. You know, those were a little bit surprising to, to the Alabama faithful. You, you expected some attrition because it's, it's the expectation every year, especially coming off of a national title. But when, when those hits came like back to back to back, there was a lot of Alabama fans that were like, hold on, like what, what is happening here? I mean, we, we get it. Texas has potential, but is there something else at play? That was literally a conversation that I had with a Bama contingent uh, at one point. Um, so at the time we're like, well, maybe, I mean, maybe there's something we don't know. Uh, and it turns out that it could have been this. Uh, and I think those, those things can't be a coincidence uh, with the agents involved, with the money involved, with the potential TV money involved and how SEC network has like, I mean, you talk about hitting the ground running. It seems like the SEC network, you know, graphics department was ready for all of this as soon as it happened. Uh, so I think those things are, are, it's just hard in this day and age to imagine all of that just being an organic coincidence. Um, and Steve Sarkeesian has really been calculated ever since the departure from USC, which again, let's remind people, wasn't an on-field deal. That trajectory was pretty clear at, at USC before the off-field incidents um, you know, picked up and then everyone had to make a move. Since that point, Steve has been very, very calculated from how he recruits uh, to how he's perceived, most importantly. So uh, again, if you're going to roll the dice and jump back into that head coaching conversation, you're going to do it with as much chips as you can. So if if there was one chip needed to put it over the top for UT and it was that that elbow nudge from his agent or from the president or somebody out that way, um, it would not shock me at all. It's just, like you said, the timelines are way too close to assume otherwise. Okay, so let's let's go here now. Let's let's talk about Texas A&M a little bit. We won't spend a ton of time on it because um, I'm nudge nudge also the pup managing edit managing editor and publisher of the All Aggies <laughs> website, and I don't want to make anybody mad. But let's let's stay objective with this thing. Um, why does A&M outside of the the pettiness and the the um, whatever else you want to call it? Why does AM want to stop this when 13 other SEC schools seem to be lining up and salivating at the potential of all of the money that Texas and Oklahoma could bring into this conference? I think this is a clear uh, this is a clear case of kind of one of those what you say versus what you do conversations to where really at the end matters what you do more than what you say or, or how, even how you feel 
to a large degree. Um, I'm not so sure A&M will vote against this. Once the dust settles and you can kind of like sit down and, and, and gather yourself, regather yourself maybe, A&M is going to understand that this is going to mean more money, more exposure, more eyeballs, more everything towards their program, even if it's as the villain initially, which is not a bad thing. I mean, ask Alabama, ask Ohio State, uh, ask Miami in the early 2000s about being the villain and how profitable that is. Dallas Yeah, Dallas Cowboys. I mean, the list really goes on and on in every sport. Miami's big three in hoops. Um, You can really profit off of being the villain, even if initially you're like blindsided, caught off guard and, and kind of wondering why your theoretical big brother is making the move that you made, you know, 10, 12 years ago, whatever it is at this point. Um, so I, on the surface, you understand AM theoretically being surprised and, and, and quote unquote uh, mad about their advantage in the state of Texas. But on the flip side, if, if I'm Jimbo Fisher, I'm like, you know what, let's accelerate this right now. Let's play Texas right now. Let's play them every year from 2022 and beyond. Um, and let's maybe create more of a perceptional separation than exists right now, head to head, which is really the one thing AM and Texas, of course, have been unable to figure out over the last several years. You know, how do we get on field every year? Um, and the whole the whole Texas thing in terms of being the only SEC school. I don't buy a lot into that because sure, Texas was opened up to the league and AM has benefited, but hello, Alabama, LSU, Georgia, everybody has benefited from the state of Texas opening up as the Longhorn on-field product has been either neutral or, or downticked a little bit. So it's not just AM that's benefited. So AM is still living proof of the ability to thrive as sure the only school in the state geographically but not the only powerhouse recruiting the state at a high level Uh, even losing a lot of battles to Bama and LSU in particular with Texan athletes so there's there's really again kind of the formula existing there with A&M's recent surge that Texas can jump right into and theoretically emulate so on the surface I get A&M saying hey we want to be the only Texas school in the SEC. This was our move first. It's a copycat league, blah, blah, blah. But I think long-term, more money, the ability to to separate further from Texas with with a true um, 50-50 comparison, a one-to-one ratio, if you will. I think those things are beneficial to Texas A&M in the short term. Now, long-term is anybody's guess, but if I'm Jimbo Fisher, if I'm Ross Bjork, like right now, I want all the smoke with Texas that I can get to potentially show how much uh, how much more ahead Giggum is than Hookum, but that's just me. Okay, so we're talking a little bit about on the field now. Um, like you said, A and M, if they when they come to their senses, so to speak, they're going to want to come out and prove that they are the superior superior football program at this point. The only way to do that is to play Texas in 2022, come out, hit them in the mouth and do that for the next couple of years. And, you know, potentially do what Oklahoma did to them back in the mid two thousands when Mac Brown lost four straight, that kind of set Oklahoma up uh, to beat Texas 
both on the field and in recruiting for the next for the next few years after that. And Texas had to kind of climb out of that hole. A&M will probably want to try and do that same thing. Um, to do that, to make sure that they play every year, we've got to figure out a structure, though. Right. And that structure is anybody's guess. We, we've never had this many teams. 16 is a lot. Um, who knows if they're going to try and add more? I doubt it. But let's say it's 16. Do you think they do just the two divisions, East and West, move Alabama and Auburn East, or do the four pods? How do you think those four pods will be structured? Because for my money, I think the pod structure would not only be the best on-field product, I think it would be the best um, the best thing on paper for all the schools involved to say, hey, look, you know, instead of playing Alabama once every 10 years, you get to go to Tuscaloosa every other, you get to visit every single, every single school in the conference. You get to play at every single stadium. You get to do this, you get to do that. And how they would structure that is anybody's guess. My, my money would be on, let's say, Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, and maybe Missouri or Arkansas in one pod. And then LSU, Arkansas, um, Mississippi, Mississippi State in the other, um, Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt, and then, you know, the remaining East schools, um, you know, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, Kentucky. Do you like that structure or are you more on the two division train? I think the two division train is, is a lot harder to digest. Um, both from a purist standpoint, as you mentioned, with the ability in the pods to play pretty much everybody. Uh, I think that's something that everyone should be on board for. But I think the East-West thing, because programs would have to move from one to the other, and it it's seemingly all eyes on Alabama and Auburn, right? Those are the two that would make the most geographical sense to jump over to the East. I know Alabama would love that because their road gets easier. If, if it's still, if it's a two division system and they jump to the East, they've already got, uh, you know, Tennessee as a permanent crossover. So you, you maintain, you maintain that rivalry. Uh, and then you, instead of, you know, LSU and A&M, again, the two teams that have really been at least perceptionally the best set up to knock them off. And of course, LSU did it a couple of years ago. Now you move into the East uh, and, and you get, more of, of, you know, that Vandy, Kentucky, South Carolina, even Florida, Georgia, to a degree. Um, none of those have on field felt like that the group that was going to knock them off more so than we talk about A&M now, LSU prior and heck Ole Miss, Ole Miss did it twice. So I think that benefits your, your banner program in, in the league. Um, so how important that is to Greg Sankey I, I think is is valuable and is worth talking about. But the pods, the more you look into it, man, they just make so much sense. You know, if if you if you have your Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee pod, now you maintain both the Iron Bowl rivalry and that old school rivalry between Alabama and Tennessee. So to me, that one just comes down to what you do with the two teams we've talked about most today, Texas. And Texas A&M, because you know A&M, or you know Texas, excuse me, and Oklahoma will be potted together. You're going to bring those over together. You want to maintain that rivalry. That's kind of a no-brainer. So it really comes down to 
again, d- does the SEC do do A and M a favor? You know, because the one model has LSU, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and A and M in their own pod, and that way A and M avoids both Texas and Oklahoma. Or do you do you provide a service to to college football? Do you provide more of a service to to me that conversation about you know step one towards a super conference, step one towards eliminating all doubt that this is about the sec and then and everyone else kind of like the days where you used to bet tiger woods or the field you know if you want to make the sec the tiger woods bet you got to put a&m in the pod with oklahoma and texas i just think you have to wrap those three together and you just you just wish that fourth team well on their way towards virtual extinction whether it's missouri whether it's arkansas uh, you just kind of uh, you know salute them for for the beating that they're going to take and you move on uh so I, I think the pod discussion is the most fluid it's the most football purist schedule but i do think you know you gotta get AM in that pod with oklahoma and texas to have sort of maximum juice maximum ratings maximum money all of those things. Uh, again, they would still be able to play each other in that scenario. But, you know, I think most non-college station folks will tell you they want to see that every year instead of every other year or every third year, et cetera. Okay, so quick question here, and then we'll move on to, my, to our next topic. But in 2022, or whenever this move eventually goes through, I think that if it goes through, um, it'll be sooner rather than later, because me too. I don't think they want to uh, to waste all that money with with a dead conference. But uh, no, and having and having your your conference run by the two teams that are leaving over the right. next few years on their way out is just, I mean, it, it's bad looks are becoming common in the Big Twelve, but that would be about as bad as it gets. Right. But so here's the here's the question: In 2022, is there a more watched television event? Than Texas versus Texas A&M, let's say in College Station on Thanksgiving night, with you know Steve Sarkeesian versus Jimbo Fisher at night. Is there any better television event in 2022 than that? <laughs> Not for me. And I think, you, like you said, you either do it the holiday weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, or you do it right off the bat. You do it like week one, week two, and you just use that for the entire uh, off season. Imagine the the Twitter trolling leading up to to that if it was game one in, in a neutral or on a neutral site or something like that but yeah you could really you could really hype this thing up in so many different ways um I just think it's it's good for college football to have these two as rivals even if it's ugly even if it's petty even if it's you know touch and go I think that's that's what's good about college football you and and again you talk about the SEC fit. I mean, that's already existing in so many places in the SEC, you know, with Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, um, you know, LSU, Alabama. I mean, there's so many different games where you're just like, you know, you have to turn this on. You have to turn the egg bowl on, even though other, other bigger games are theoretically happening in terms of the playoff, but you just still want to see if Elijah Moore is going to lift up that leg after the touchdown. You just, you got to tune in to see if something like that, it is possible. So uh, I think that would be just premium, easy, no brainer, you know, almost like a UFC pay-per-view, like a one of these Floyd Mayweather, Mayweather fights or something like that, where you're just like, no matter who's there, when it is, 
it's going to make a billion dollars. It just obviously I'm, I'm being, you know, uh, a little crazy here with hyperbole, but it's like, no matter when that happens, it's going to be big. So then you structure it to your advantage, either to kick off the season or are on the holiday weekend. And I think that's just, that's the conversation um, for the year 2022 or whatever year that it actually happens. It, it's just like, it's too good to avoid. Like it's, it's, it's like the next Marvel movie. Like they're building up to this anyway. Like let's get to it already. Go make your billion dollars for Infinity War or Endgame and move on. And, and it'll just kind of keep coming after that. So yeah, I, I just, the more we talk about it here, the more excited I'm getting. And, and this is just a hypothetical at this point. Side note, Elijah Moore pissing on the Mississippi State end zone was perhaps the single greatest event in sports in 2020. Um, I Thank you. I, so necessary. I, I, I just I, I couldn't get enough of it. It was it was the most memeable moment of all time. Um, OK, so we've talked a lot about the SEC. Um, let's move on to the poor, poor, derelict, dying Big 12. <laughs> we talked about it a little bit, um, but let's let's dive into it a little bit deeper. Um, obviously, Texas and Oklahoma leaving. I mean, that's that's a death sentence for the Big Twelve. They can they can try and go get uh, UCF and BYU and Boise State and Houston or Memphis or SMU or whatever. And, and those schools make sense, not just like kind of geographically, but you know they're they're good programs. Um, they're not Texas and Oklahoma though, <laughs> so. Uh, what we're, what we're starting to see, and, you know, we talked about a little bit already, Kansas is uh, talking to the Big Ten. Um, let's go, let's, let's kind of go school by school quickly and, and discuss where we think that they're going to go, because Oklahoma State probably sits, and, and Kansas, thanks to their basketball program, if they didn't have that basketball current pro- program, they'd be in the, the MAC by this time next year. Um, <laughs> Where, where do you where do you see Oklahoma State? I mean, do they do they go out west to the Pac-12? Do they figure out some? I mean, where do you see them going? Right, and then, and this is where I think it gets really tricky when you talk about domino effects because if you're the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC, which is I guess the dark horse for Texas and Oklahoma, if for some reason the SEC doesn't work out. And then AM becomes like the bad kind of villain in college football to where it's like, wow, you wrecked this perfect scenario. Um, all three of those remaining uh, power five conferences, they now have to look at this and say, okay, the SEC will be at 16 teams, clearly the number one power five program, it's our, or power five conference. It's already been that, but this just puts a huge inked stamp on it for the next millennium, maybe. Um So you have to say as a conference, now they have 16 teams. So whether you're the ACC with 14 or the others with a little bit less, you say, okay, do we want to try to match this number? Do we want to try to theoretically compete with that scenario by pulling in other power fives, whether it's new power fives, like, like the UCF group and the other current G fives or pulling big 12 schools. Do we compete numbers wise and and try to match that or do we kind of sit back and see what the big 12 does, but then your ceiling as the big 12, if you do stay together is at best, we're the worst power five conference. And it's by like a clear margin. 
is that good enough for Kansas and Oklahoma State and Baylor and TCU and et cetera? Is that good enough or would you rather latch on to another? And I think when you talk about cultural fit, Oklahoma State in the Pac-12 maybe is the easiest to see other than maybe West Virginia and the ACC, just because all those other Big East schools have assimilated so well into that conference, particularly from a basketball perspective. Um, from a football perspective, Oklahoma State, culturally, you, you think of the Cowboys, you think of quarterbacks, you think of offense, you think of the mullet, you think of Gundy, personality, all that fits very well in the Pac-12. And honestly, if you're Oklahoma State, probably a higher chance of doing better and maybe winning it uh, you know usc is kind of climbing back oregon has the mantle right now but it's not a dominant alabama ohio state clemson mantle um in those other conferences if you're oklahoma state you're like hey this is now an opportunity you know whether or not bedlam is the thing in the future it might be worth sacrificing if you can now compete at, at a, a power five level elsewhere and actually have a better chance of winning. I think that's the only scenario where Oklahoma state has a better chance of winning than it did in the big 12. So I kind of view it from the remaining big 12 programs perspective uh, to where it might behoove them to start making those moves. You mentioned Kansas, the big 10, all of that just makes so much sense uh, from a, from a football and basketball standpoint, from a money standpoint, the big 10 feels very stable uh, in, in the conversation around the power five the last few years it's very clearly been sec big 10 for a long time just because clemson has kind of been the, the sole torchbearer in the acc as florida state and miami and north carolina and even notre dame technically have kind of floundered up and down um the big 10 stability wise with ohio state getting in just about every year got like oklahoma did in the big 12 just feels a little bit more stable. Um, so I think that would be smart for Kansas, but then that's, then it's on the big 10. It's like, now if you're the big 10, do you want, do you want Kansas? Do you want, you know, you, you've got Rutgers already from a football perspective. Do you want kind of another that feels the same way football wise, uh, despite having a strong basketball product, then is, is it worth it? That's a different type of conversation that goes back to, okay, do we want 16 teams like the SEC now has, or do we kind of just stay put as, as that number two uh, conference, you know? So I think that's why it's, it gets so fascinating, Matt, because now you have the, the micro, which is the program perspective, and then the macro, which is the conference perspective. And, and trying to find agreements there is going to be plenty of work, uh, which is why, again, this to me feels more like the Big East scenario where you kind of, you know, West Virginia, Pitt, Louisville, Boston College, Syracuse, Miami, they kind of saw it. They saw all this coming and were like, we need to jump ship because this one is sinking very, very badly. That's where the Big 12 feels like to me because there's no group of available G5s you can put together that brings you anything close to what you had with, with Texas uh, and Oklahoma. If one of them defected, fine. I think you could maybe survive with Oklahoma or Texas as your banner program. Um, but with both leaving a clear one and two, um, it's just really hard to overcome. And, and I think that's what the Big East was, was dealing with. So it's such a unique domino. It's a unique back and forth between program and conference. Um, but it just feels like it's easier for the other conferences to jump, jump in with one or two teams than for an entire conference to say, hey, we're gonna add 
four to six new programs that were all group of five all at once. And it's going to smooth everything out. To me, that's the bigger hurdle. Okay. So, um, and, and we'll, we'll wrap up with this and I won't keep up too much more of your time, but, uh, so Oklahoma state will find a home, Iowa state, Kansas, they likely find a home. I mean, you have that natural rivalry in the big 10 with Iowa. You can already, uh, you can already add to Iowa State's case. Maybe that's somewhere they could go. They've got a good on-field football product now under Matt right. Campbell. Um, that's going, you know, really well in their favor. Uh, West Virginia, clear fit for the ACC, like you said. Um, TCU is a good program in a good market. They'll find a home, you know, Texas Tech. Maybe they could follow Oklahoma State to the Pac-12. Maybe they could figure something else out with the Big Ten both of those conferences are probably going to try to get to 16 teams at some point now that the SEC is doing it as well as the ACC. So there, there's things that can be figured out there. There's two programs though in the big 12 that could be facing a really hard time coming out of this. One of them just won a national championship in basketball. And all of a sudden it seems like it doesn't matter, um, which is crazy, but Baylor and Kansas state Baylor is not in a great, great town, uh, market wise Waco's, you know, sandwiched in between Austin and Dallas and Fort Worth. And it's kind of a no man's land there. They ha they don't have a great history in the football field or off the football field. You know, if you want to go down that road, but they're, they're in a very precarious position here. If they don't jump on the train with Oklahoma state and potentially Texas tech and TCU, they could potentially get, you know, to use a Premier League term, they could potentially get relegated, so to speak, to a group of five. And then Kansas State, you know, they just don't bring a whole lot to the table in terms of, of marketability and, and on-field success, really, in, in any sport right now. Um, you know, you had the, the Snyder days in which they were, um, you know, a force to be reckoned with for a while, but those are long gone. And we don't really know what they can bring in terms of um, anything really to, to, to another power five conference are those schools where, where did they go? Because they, they need to figure something out or they're going to end up being, you know, playing in the AAC or the mountain West or the Mac or something like that. in you know, a year from now, those are the ones Matt that I think there's really, there's not a lot of upside, no matter what happens. Once once the UT and OU fate is sealed to where they're exiting, which seems like we're there, we're already there at this point. Those are the ones that, in every scenario, lose out. Um, whether it's the simple scenario of, okay, the Big Twelve is a sinking ship, we have to jump off and land somewhere else. They're at the bottom of that conversation. Or the bigger scenario of, okay, now these super conferences are forming. Maybe the SEC becomes its, its own one day and, and brings in, I don't know, it gets crazy and they bring in Ohio State and Clemson and Florida State and blah, blah, blah. You know, you're not going to get in at that point. Um, or if you're in the, in the middle of the road and it's like, now these other conferences are looking just to get to 16 to match, to match what the SEC is doing you become as attractive or potentially 
less attractive than a G5, than a, a rising G5 or a stable G5, like Boise, like UCF, like Memphis, like uh, Cincinnati. I mean, Cincinnati's, you know, hey, do, do we jump into the ACC? Where are we going here? Um, if you're, if the onus is on G5 programs now. And I know of two that are making a lot of calls just from my, my contacts. So, you know, and you have to beat those guys as well which is if you're Kansas state, if you're Baylor, who are you, are you more attractive than Orlando and UCF? Are you more attractive than Cincinnati in the state of Ohio? Probably not. And then when you, when you move to on field, can you compete with Boise or even if a BYU decides that this is the right moment to, to jump from the independent crew, are you as attractive as BYU? Probably not. You've got a natural rivalry with Utah, on the field, you've been strong. You just had a quarterback go really high in the NFL draft. Their basketball program kind of peaks every few years, it seems like, with lightning in a bottle. Can you even compete with that? And the answer is no for me. So I think those are the ones that are going to suffer the most. And you hit it right on the head with some of the others that are on the bubble but kind of have a fit in a conference, whether it's Texas Tech in the Pac-12, Iowa State, in the Big Ten with that natural rivalry with Iowa, it's just not the same when you're talking Baylor, um, when you're talking Kansas State uh, and kind of that group. So uh, I think geographically, rivalry-wise, you're really hurt because you, you haven't ascended to a certain point. And it kind of unfortunately makes you think that in all of these scenarios, they're at the very bottom of the conversation. They are a footnote in the conversation unfortunate but a reality when, when we talk about that super conference discussion it's usually like 40 or 50 programs usually power five type programs with the exception of those few g5s we've talked about so those bottom 10 to 12 power five programs overall are left out of that discussion um and right now it's hard to imagine that group being a shoe-in for the conversation, if it gets to to the point where it's 40 to 45 teams forming this league that's going to defect from the NCAA, I mean, is Kansas State going to be one of those programs? Is is Baylor? It's it's really hard to make that case from from a national, from an outsider's perspective. Well, John, um, I really appreciate your time today. We're going to have to do this a lot more often. Um, you know, if, if you guys don't know where to find John, uh, SIL American is the premier spot in, uh, on the internet for, for college football recruiting these days. He is, a, he is a beast. He grinds. He does as much work as an entire network at, a, at, another, at another outlet. So um, I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on for our first episode. We're going to have to have you on a lot more. Uh, tell everyone where they can find you. Appreciate the kind words, my friend. Yeah, siallamerican.com or social media at siallamerican pretty much on, on all platforms. We even got that TikTok rolling, man. Uh, I'm not doing it, but we've got it. So uh, yeah, check us out, siallamerican, wherever you uh, like to consume content. We'll have more on each platform. We've got rankings coming out every day from a positional perspective. Uh, class rankings are going to be updated here once we turn into August. So there's a lot going on in college football and recruiting itself. And we're excited to bring it to you for free. SIAllAmerican.com. All right. Thanks. And uh, everybody, thanks for listening. This is obviously our first episode. So uh, 
by the time you listen to this, we should be up on all major platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, everything like that. Uh, please go like, rate, and subscribe, and um, you know, keep coming back for more. We'll be back at least once or twice a week, and hopefully with uh, Mr. Garcia here for most of those episodes. But uh, thanks again, and we'll see you later.